The story is told that as Roman conquerors would come after a great victory into the city after returning from war, uh, that the generals and the, those battling alongside him would march in a victor's parade. And as they did so, uh, there was a messenger whose one job was to say two words to those victorious. As they received the accolades and the praises of the crowd, uh, the messenger would simply march alongside and say, Memento Memori. Memento Memori. Uh, which the rough translation of that means, this is just a moment. It will pass, and so will you. Memento Memori. As we end our series called Life with Luke, where we've been looking at the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the uh, the way Jesus was with people, we finish talking uh, really what I call the final act. The final act because it's about Jesus' death. And the final act was so much more than how you and I might think of memento memori. You see, Jesus' final act was not just to die, but it was to bring upon the death of death, to end the power of sin and death, the, to break the curse that we had been under uh, since Adam in the garden. Every single person from Adam forward, no matter how great, no matter how small, no matter how significant their life, no matter what they achieved, no matter how, many, how much wealth they had, no matter how many books they wrote, no matter what, what kind of an impact they left on this world, when considering their life, it ends with basically three words and uh, four words, and then he died, or and then she died. Death is the common fate of all, all except one. And as we think about the life of Jesus and certainly the death of Jesus, we begin to enter into tonight to see the final act. A, a, a side note here, uh, last week, of course, you know, because of the weather, services were canceled, and, you know, there's a preacher who, who has dutifully studied and poured his heart and his mind and his soul to preparing a sermon, and the question is what to do with that sermon that surely would bring about revival in the church. And the answer I've come upon is that we should combine two sermons into one. So pack a sandwich. Uh, I hope that you did. It's a little late now, but we'll we'll go for a solid two hours tonight. So, hope you're feeling spiritual. Uh, well, you didn't laugh at that joke. I thought really you you're not sure if I'm kidding or not, are you? Yeah. The final act, though this is the final lesson on Luke, it is it is in my estimation of first importance because of what happens. And because of the significance in our lives, what Paul would call of first importance, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, though we're in Luke. You know by now that we, we let the Bible interpret the Bible and speak to the Bible, and it helps clarify our deepening and our understanding 
that this book is unlike other books and that all the parts flow seamlessly together. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul says, and, and keep in mind, in the context of that letter, he's, he's writing to a book of, to a a group of Christians, a letter, a series of letters, focusing on all the many issues and problems that they had, doctrines and disputes and personal dealings and just a whole array of things. And Paul, as he ends that letter, says, Here's it. here it is. Number one, the irreducible minimum, the thing that matters most is this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried that it was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's it. That's, that's the, the most important thing. And so as we look at that, this final act of God in the redemption of man, I want you to know it is of chief importance, not because the lesson is so great, the sermon is so great, but because of what God did is immeasurably great. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 23 and uh, toward the end of 23, and then uh, the beginning of, of verse 20 of chapter 24. The first thing that we note as we as we pour through the scriptures is that he gave up his life to give us our life. He gave up his to give us, to give us ours. That hymn that we were led in by Carl, ten thousand angels. You know, that's an old hymn, and I can remember uh, as a teenager, very new to Christ, very new in faith, singing that song and it being deeply impactful because the thought of Jesus on the cross at Golgotha, uh, surrounded by, uh, flanked by, on either side by criminals who were guilty, surrounded by a mob who were shouting for his crucifixion, and, and yet in that whole scene, there is an unseen host of angels. Gabriel probably at the front. Michael close by. And, and they are just standing waiting the word. It, it, it wouldn't even barely have to leave his lips. And that entire scene would have been decimate, decimated with holy wrath. This was the Son of God. They did not know whom they crucified uh, th- and and the only reason that they were able to crucify him was because not because of their power, not be because of the mockery of a trial, but because Jesus willingly laid down his life. The Apostle John says, "This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave His life for us. He died the death of a criminal." that he might set us free. The book of Romans speaks a great deal about this matter. Chapter 4, verse 25. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised 
from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Moving to verse uh, to chapter 5, just a few verses down. For while we were still weak, verse, this is verse 6, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Oh, perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, not righteous, not good, but sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we also be saved by his life. You see, the criminals, those to his right and his left, they believed that he was dying with them. What they in the crowd did not understand was that he was dying for them. Let's read from Luke. As they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid him on the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to him, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. They will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now, Jesus, of course, is speaking here of the coming a persecution and, and desecration by Rome, uh, which will not be for uh, uh, several more decades. But he's re- reminding them that, that they need not weep uh, because they will have reason to weep soon enough. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to that place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. He died the death of a criminal, that we might be redeemed, that we might be eternally set free. And though they didn't understand it, and sometimes I think hardly do we, that he died with them, but he really died for them. May we understand the verse, the truth of the verse that Jesus spoke when he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Take up their cross daily, as Luke says, and follow me. You see, life at the cross begins with death on the cross. Before Jesus could be raised, he had to die. Before you and I can be raised and walk, we have to die. And I love the beauty of baptism, the act of it. As Romans 6 says, we are buried with him in baptism. It's not a sprinkling. It's not a a pouring. it's 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 an act that shows that death, the burial, 
and the resurrection of a life. Everyone's excited for resurrection, and we should be. But may we remember that preceding that comes death. Before Sunday, there was Friday. And, and for us, for those of us who are called to lay down our lives in the same way, may we not forget that before resurrection comes death. And Jesus called all of those who would follow him to take up the cross and do that every day. And taking up the cross is this simple act whereupon every single day you have an opportunity to do what you want or to do what God wants. The opportunity to gratify, to gratify your flesh or to gratify the spirit. And each day... You make the painful choice to gratify the Spirit. The painful choice. I thought Christianity was a good thing. It is. But it's hard. You see, when Jesus said, take up your cross, you and I have a very different picture of what the cross means. We might decorate our homes with it. We have a a, a giant cross in the fellowship hall. But but back then, a a cross was hardly a religious symbol. It, It was a symbol of of terribly humiliating kind of death, public display, and an absolute submission to ultimate authority. They did not see it as a view of religious faith. They, they saw it as a shameful way to die, as a painful, embarrassing, humiliating, upfront death for all to see. When Jesus calls us to take up the cross daily, he's saying, Every day you follow me, there's going to be a decision. And part of you will be left unsatisfied. Now think about that. When you choose each day, when, when you choose to do what is right, according to God's eyes, not in, in your own, you choose to do that, that means that part of you, the flesh, will be left unsatisfied. That choice gets easier the more that you make it, but it never is completely easy. It's, it's a day-by-day process of dying to yourself. And that's what we're called to do. May we take it up daily. May we take it up thoughtfully and prayerfully. May we understand that, as Bonhoeffer said, when, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And the cr- process of following Jesus, being a disciple is changing, transform. Transformation seems like a wonderful thing, but you realize that the butterfly wasn't always a butterfly. The caterpillar had to die before it could be transformed. And you and I have to die to ourselves in the flesh before God can transform us, or as God transforms us, into the glory that he is waiting to be revealed. Whatever sacrifice we make to following Jesus, of course, is nothing, nothing compared to his sacrifice for us. He sacrificed himself to save us. We're back in verse 34 of of Luke 23. Verse 34, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by, watching 
The rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's a Christ of God, if he's the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king, save yourself. This was, there was also an inscription over him. This is also the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were, who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. Do you not fear God, since you are this, under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, justly, for we are receiving due, the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was about now the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance and watched these things. He was... 100% innocent. Completely guiltless. Had done nothing wrong. And he took 100% of our guilt upon himself. You and I, the crowd that surrounded him, the two criminals beside him, every human being that has ever existed before or since, 100% guilty. And this 100% innocent man took it upon himself, paid the price. Uh, it's a bit violent in our modern view. Oh, did Jesus have to die? Was the cross necessary? Was the sacrifice important? It was. Romans chapter 5, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life, or saved through his life. It was reconciliation. And what we talked about this morning, bringing two things out of agreement into agreement that could not happen and did not happen without the death of Jesus. It was the only atonement that could bring these two things into reconciliation, bringing these two, two things back into agreement. We owed a debt. God was owed a debt. Now, for God to just forgive that without sacrifice, to forgive that without death, forgive that without blood, would make God unjust. Because he could forget the debt, but then God is still owed. God is still shorted. Jesus paid the debt that we might be brought back into agreement on the holy register. This, the criminal says something that I want to go back to. He says, as he scoffs Jesus, he says, this is verse 39. 
one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. You see, there's one thing that, that he couldn't do. He could have saved himself. That was absolutely within the realm of possibility. But he could not save himself and save us too. He could not save himself and save us too. Had he saved himself, the debt would have still been left unpaid. And so on the cross, as he's hanging, the excruciating physical pain and, and, and all of that, you've heard lessons on that before, but that paled in comparison. That was nothing. I mean, many people had died by crucifixion. The, the physical aspect of the crucifixion was just a, a, a tiny part of it. And it was bad, but it was just a tiny part of the spiritual act that was happening. That for the first time in all of eternity, that the Father turned away from the Son. That the Son became the sin. He became the offering. The shepherd became the lamb to save us. Because he couldn't save himself and save us too. He did that for us. You know, what, was held, what held Jesus to the cross were not the nails. It was his love for you and I. May we not forget that. May we not forget that on the cross, his decision to allow the Father to turn away, to take upon himself the sin which we owed and that he had not committed, he did that for a reason intentionally. Truly, he had done nothing wrong. To save himself at that moment, moment would have meant justice for him and justice for us. And you and I cannot stand under the justice of God. No one can. He, he didn't stay on the cross nor in the tomb. No, he, he, he was raised that we might rise. This is verse, uh, chapter 24 now. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn... They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and must be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed like an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. The resurrection was a surprise. It shouldn't have been, but it was. Not the first time, no doubt, that Jesus had 
said a few things and their students failed to pay attention. Jesus understood what it was like to be a preacher. Luke chapter 9, verse 22 and following. We've studied these verses already. He strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You see, Jesus Jesus was calling them to do exactly what he was called to do. Oh, he, he could have saved his life, but he, he would have lost us. But because he laid down his life, he was able to save us. And in the same way, he calls us to lay down our lives that we might be saved. You see, laying down your life, that's a difficult thing. You have dreams and aspirations, goals, things that you want to do. You have your will. You have someone you want to be friends with, someone you want to have connection to, someone you want to sit by, someone you want to uh, share life with, someone you want to uh, have career aspirations and goals. You want to make a certain amount of money. You'd like to retire at a certain year. You'd like to have a certain net worth. You, you, you want to have a certain number of children. You want them to be a certain level of success. You have all of these dreams and goals. We all have them. And Jesus says, that's fine, but, but if you're going to follow me, I want you to lay down all of that. Now, you might be able to have it, but, but I might call it any time from you that which you want, and you must be willing to lay it down. May we remember that we are not just, that Jesus laid down his life so that he might rise. And we are called to lay down our lives that we might be raised in a different way. You see, Jesus, it's not that Jesus, just that Jesus was resurrected. Jesus is resurrection. You remember the verse from John, John chapter 11. You say, I don't remember the verse from John because... We're studying Luke. And I would say, okay, turn to John 11. And recall that Jesus had his good friend Lazarus had died. Mary and Martha, his sisters, were there. They, he had been sick. They had called for Jesus. Jesus was less than two miles away. He could have been there more quickly than he got there. He didn't. Lazarus died. By the time Jesus got there, he was had been dead enough to you know, be buried and and, and very likely... They thought that was the end of the story. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, and in my mind's eye, in this conversation, this is a moment where Jesus is, talked about this morning, sitting next to us, kneeball, knee, kneeball, <laughs> knee cap to knee cap, eyeball to eyeball. And I think as he's talking to Lazarus' sister, he is right here. He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus 
it's, it's one thing for us to understand and believe that Jesus was resurrected, but it's in an entirely different paradigm to understand that Jesus is resurrection and the life. And that, that our lives are tied so closely to his. And that that's why it's important to stay faithful to him. Because he is resurrection. And those who are faithful to him, when they die, they don't die. They're raised to life. He who believes in me will never die. And belief is not just intellectual assent. It is believing in a way that says, I trust you. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to live for you. And indeed, lay down my life for you. If called to do it. May we not forget that Jesus, it's not just that he was raised. He is resurrection. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is useless. Baptism is useless if you come out of the water and yet have not been raised to walk in newness of life. If you go under some water and come up out of some water and dry off and get wet and live in the same way you did before and are unwilling to lay down your life for what Jesus called you to lay down, then you did, not, you, were, you did not die. You were not buried. You just got wet. And you certainly can't be raised if you haven't died. So may we take seriously the call to die to ourselves so that the Spirit who dwells within at the moment of baptism might continually raise the same way that he raised Jesus from the dead. We were buried so that we might be raised. He was raised so that we might rise, live in a risen way. The church is called to be a risen church and to live in a way that rises above the world that we live in. To live in the same way, to to let the water be level with where the world is just makes no sense at all. The people who are called to die and be raised. The church is the high water mark. The church is the risen people. It scares me to death when I see the church trying to sort of race to the bottom to see how much we can make the world like us so that we can be like the world. That's not risen church, and that's not risen people. Jesus called us to lay down and to die. And that means not living for what we want. It's living for what Christ called. So may then we not forget that he is still resurrection in the life. And may we live, may we show that we are risen people by how we live. May we be sure that we 
that we do this final thing, and this is the last lesson for Luke for the, and for the series and for the year. May we go with him in all ways. May we go with him. May we go with him where he called us to go. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we continuing sin that grace may abound? By no be- means. I almost said by no beans. It's been a long year. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? May we go with him to die. And we just lay it down. And if you're not in Christ tonight, there, you know, some preachers will tell you, pray this prayer. Some people say, invite him into your heart. None of that's biblical. None of that's what Jesus commanded. Jesus simply said, believe in me, trust in me, and be baptized, be immersed. And, and in that act, you're saying, I lay down my life. I give up my life for what Jesus wants. Then may we be buried in Christ. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. May we be buried in the same way that he was buried. And may when people see you, no longer see you, but just see something, someone who's been buried and covered and washed in the blood and buried to walk a new life. And finally, may we follow him not just to the cross, not just to the tomb, but, of course, what we all want is to follow him into glorious resurrection. Verses, verse 5 and following. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall sure, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Raised people should live in a risen way. So tonight, the invitation is yours. The lesson is yours. The series is yours. May we do what I believe Luke called us to do, was to go with him all the way. And that may mean a death, laying down your life, being buried in the waters of baptism. Maybe maybe you need to begin walking and living in a risen way. If you are not going with him, then you're not going home. The only way to home, eternally speaking, is to follow Jesus. Tonight, if you have a need to begin following Jesus, or if you started following Jesus and you've turned away, and you need to repent in a public way, or we can pray for you and encourage you in any way, we're glad to do that. If you have a need, please come forward tonight, and we'll help you in any way that we can. Uh, We pray that you'll come if there's a need now, as together we stand and sing.